0: What's up, Swift Coders? This is Garrick from your favorite Swift podcast. Before we begin this next episode, I just want to let you know that me, Raghav Mangrola, and Stephen Berard are hosting a Swift Coders meet and greet at AltConf this year during WWDC on Wednesday, June 7th, 2017 at the Community Space at AltConf at the San Jose Marriott from 12 p.m. to 1.30 p.m. If you're planning to be in the area at that time, come to our meet and greet where you'll be able to talk with past guests of the Swift Coders podcast, with leaders of our Learn Swift group of meetups, as well as Swift Coder community members. You've heard their stories. Now meet them in person. Thank them for inspiring you along your journey and learn even more tips and tricks. If you're interested in starting a Learn Swift meetup in your community, come speak with our leaders about the how, what and the why of being a Learn Swift organizer find the event registration link in the show notes. All right, that's it for now. I look forward to meeting you at WW soon and without further ado. Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Will Townsend. Will is the iOS team lead at PaperKite, a mobile development agency in Wellington, New Zealand. Welcome to the show, Will.
1: Hi, Garrick, how are you doing? Excellent, how are you? I'm, I'm feeling good, thank you. Yeah, bit, feeling bit good. <laughs> you a bit nervous? A bit nervous, yeah. Uh, it's the first oh, time I've done anything like this, so. Oh, really? Yes. First time on a podcast? First time on a podcast. Oh, wow. Why don't
0: we do this? Let's take a breath. <laughs> ah, man. When I was uh, like interviewing Chris Latner, I yep. was so nervous. My heart was beating so fast. All I could do was just take a breath. It was such,
1: like- an, such an incredible interview, though. Like, when his oh, name right. popped up on the notification on my phone, I was really excited to have a listen.
0: Right on. That's was- so cool. Exactly. So, you said it's a good day. What's what's the day like? Um, I've never been to uh, New Zealand. That's where you are, right? I assume you're in New Zealand right now.
1: Yep, I'm in New Zealand now, uh, in the capital, Wellington. Um, the day is fine. It's a bit crisp. Um, yeah, it's, it's a little
0: crisp here in LA. Yeah, yeah. We had rain last night. Nice. <laughs> Isn't, uh, like, where The Hobbit and all that stuff was filmed in New Zealand?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a few spots around, like, where I live. Not too far that where. Um, do you remember when Frodo was running away from all of the the people on the horses, the dark <laughs> evil people? <laughs> it's no. been a while. It's been a while no. since I watched it. Um, I don't the remember wreaths, the wreaths.
0: I've I've seen the first, the first. What's the? It's called Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Okay. I've seen the first yep. one, and maybe I saw the second one, mm-hmm. and I saw the Hobbit, like the first one of the Hobbit. Right. Um, so I'm not sure what movie that was in, what scene that was, but like okay, New, well, it, was it, it, was in, it
1: was in the first um, one, the first Oh, the Lord very Rings first one, yeah, Lord of the, of the Rings. Rings. Okay, yeah.
0: So he's like running away. That's like a, a scene. That's like an area right where you live, or
1: um, yeah, not too far, like just up the hill, about 15 minutes away. So wow,
0: yeah. So is Wellington like a super dense city?
1: Um, yeah, it's fairly dense because there's not a lot of land where houses can spread out from, so it's quite a contained area.
0: But then just beyond the city is like amazing country, like in the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Just like an hour, hour or so out the city, there's there's a load of mountains and forest and stuff. Yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. So uh, my fiance, Lucy, like she really likes Australia. Mm-hmm. And like I, New Zealand is by Australia, right? Yep. Yeah, it's right and next you, to it. Yeah. It, and it often so gets
1: s- confused for being the same place.
0: Right. Okay. So, okay. so there you go. And um, so this is actually kind of how, sort of how like Will and I got connected. Um, I think I found out about you through Sam Jarman.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Did I say that right?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: And I don't remember how I got connected to Sam, uh, somehow through Twitter. Yeah. And then I think I like, told Sam, I was like, hey, like, I think it'd be cool to possibly work in New Zealand. Like, what are your thoughts? And he's like, yeah, maybe he connected me with you. Okay. But then, um, what happened was when, uh, <laughs> when Trump got elected, Lucy and I were like so depressed Mm. and we were like wow we have to leave the country where can we go and i was like i was like you know what let me hit up will and see if they're they're hiring in at his company in new zealand and uh, so then that's when like i got more connected with you because um, yeah. we had talked before i think like a couple times
1: i think yeah i, I can't quite remember what it was about um, yeah but and i definitely so that, remember receiving your like dm saying oh hey what's up
0: yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. And then like that, that night or that next morning, there was like an earthquake in New Zealand. Yeah. Super crazy. So I'm like telling Lucy, like, what if like everybody, like a lot everyone was like thinking like, let's go to New Zealand. And like all this like thought on New Zealand, like created this crazy earthquake there mm. and like scared everybody like from California because <laughs> we don't like earthquakes like from moving to New Zealand.
1: <laughs> it's a possibility. It was it was uh. a pretty big one as well. It's one wow. of the longest ones that I've had in like, I mean, I've moved around a bit. I've lived in Wellington for about five, six years now. And this is my third flat. And it's not a, like a tall building, but I'm on the first floor and it's a really old, used to be a factory and it, it's got, a, I've got a brick wall right behind where I sleep. And I was a bit scared that it might fall down. Wow.
0: Um, Wait, so what happened? Like you felt it and then what um, happened? Like, Everything well, okay or?
1: Yeah, it was, it was around like just just before midnight and I was in bed trying to get to sleep just drifting off and then do you know when you're in that weird like dreamlike state where you're half asleep half awake yeah and uh, things just started shaking you could hear them, like a really low rumble and it just carried on going usually it kinda stops you get you get like really small ones uh, semi-regularly and this one just kept getting bigger and bigger and things started shaking more I've got a few microphone stands in my room And they just like were shaking really violently my door swung open and then i was just like it got to a point where i was like oh my god i fear for my life (laughs) wow i I jumped out of bed and lied next to my bed and it again kept getting worse and then all of a sudden it just stopped and you could hear sirens in the city go off it was it was intense yeah yeah wow was it like a very um was it really bad like in the city um it, it wasn't too bad because we'd had a couple about two years prior and 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 these ones that we've experienced in Wellington haven't been as bad as what happened in Christchurch in 2011 or something that was really wow. bad um but yeah me and my flatmates went up uh, got up and went for a walk around the city to go and check out the damage and i think everybody had the same idea everybody was outside kind of scared to go back in the buildings it's
0: wow yeah, so that's sort of how that's we weird. first got like connected and then reconnected and then you started posting all this stuff about coordinator uh, pattern and really cool work you were doing with that and I was like, you know what? I think it's time that we got to get will on the show. So <laughs> So um, yeah, I'm glad uh, everything's okay with that the earthquake thing and I'm glad you're finally on today So okay, Will, you work at paper kite. Can yep. you just tell us uh, like what is paper kite and what do you do there?
1: Um, so Paperkite is a mobile agency where we make where we specialize in making really beautiful mobile apps, basically. So we've got uh, and we make iOS, Android, and uh, APIs that go along with it, as well as all the design that goes around it. And that's and I basically lead the uh, the iOS part of that. So I'm the team. How lead many there. iOS
0: developers are on on the team?
1: So we've got four, including me. So oh wow! Three of us. So it's fairly small, but yeah, I've been there since. Well, I was the first hire. Or second higher, so I've seen the team grow from maybe like four people to twenty-five that we are now.
0: Wow! Wow. Okay, mm. and so you're the leader of that team, so you yep. mentor the team, you make uh, big decisions on what to do with the app architectures, and yeah, and, um,
1: and just make sure uh, everyone's happy, basically. That's okay. Cool. Turns into a big so, part of it.
0: So, or did you grow up in New Zealand, or where 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 are you born?
1: Uh, I was born in the UK, in a place oh, okay. called Chesterfield. Um, it's kinda near Manchester about an hour away everyone so knows how did where Manchester is how did you end up in New Zealand? Um, it was like 2006 and I think my parents just decided to that they had enough of the UK and just wanted to get out and try something different. Oh wow okay. So I, I moved over with my parents. Yeah. When did you get into programming? Um, I don't really remember the exact point it was I've always been dabbling with stuff uh I used to play around a lot in like After Effects and three D animation in Maya and played around with those like scripting languages that you could do there. Um I found that really fun and I guess that that's kinda how I got in.
0: What year is that exactly? Or around what year?
1: It would have been around around the time that I left the UK. So sort of around two thousand and six. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah.
0: And uh when did you like start taking it really seriously or when did you like realize it could be a profession and and when did that happen?
1: Uh, So after school I decided that I didn't really want to go to university and I decided to go and follow my passion in like 3D animation and I wanted to go and get a diploma in 3D animation instead of going like a comp sci degree or something like that and while I was doing that I kind of got Distracted by making games on. Have you heard of the HP Touchpad? HP Touchpad. Yeah, it sounds kind of familiar, but but no, maybe not. It was like HP's answer to the iPad, and it ran it ran a operating system called WebOS.
0: I've heard of WebOS.
1: Yeah, and and it was like a cheaper device, and I managed to be able to afford one, and I started making games on that, and uh, distracted myself from what I should have been doing, and. Ended up, yeah, ended up making games.
0: So did you go to school for programming?
1: Uh, no, no.
0: Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, because I've been getting hit up by a lot of uh, listeners mm-hmm. and, you know, they're wanting like a little more diversity. When I first started out the podcast, I kind of could only interview like, you know, just limited people. And now I can, I feel like I can pretty much interview anybody as long as they're they're interested. Um, yep. and like lately I've been interested in interviewing like people who are just really like big part of the community. So they happen to be like super advanced, mm-hmm. been programming since they were five. And, uh, but I always love mixing it up and getting people who haven't necessarily been programming their entire life. Like me, for instance, um, mm-hmm. cause it's inspiring for people who yeah. have a similar uh, background. So yeah. it sounds like you are, you're kind of in between, like you did some type of programming related stuff, um, early on, but you didn't go to school for it.
1: Um, a oh, uh- I did one year of university in computer science, Okay. Um, but I got a weird thing when I go to like, I didn't really like getting told what to learn, if that right. made sense. Um, yeah. Maybe because I didn't understand why I was learning it. Now, when I look back on what I learned, I like, wish I'd stayed <laughs> so I could uh, understand like the lower level stuff. But right. there's nothing stopping me getting a book now and studying it myself.
0: Right, but, you know, you didn't go to school for computer science necessarily. You didn't get a degree, but you're yeah. an iOS team lead, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's interesting, even you are feeling like, um, I don't know, I feel like we all kind of have this, like, imposter syndrome thing, and, and uh, I definitely feel it um, mm-hmm. a, a lot. And, um, you know, it's like you're saying, even you wish you would kind of had went and got, you know, studied more in school, like, computer science-related stuff. But for you're sure. right, like, we can always do it now. Yeah. Do you uh, do you feel like um you're at at all at a disadvantage? Like even though you're an iOS team lead, like you um, don't need you didn't know you don't need to have to have like gone to school for computer science. I mean, right?
1: I, yeah, I, I don't think so. I was kind of in. Well, I am now. I'm in quite a privileged position because I, I I was incredibly lucky to get the job that I did and learn on the job as much as I have done, and and now I've got a bit of a buffer where I could take some time off and just figure out what I want to learn, and just take the time to do it.
0: So um, when you uh, you said you were going after your passion, which was 3D animation, but then mm-hmm. you got sort of um, taken, uh, you know, sidetracked, or you were starting to get attracted to something else, which yeah. was like making game development, mobile game development for the HP touchpad, webOS.
1: Um, how long did you do that for? It's probably about a year I made two games in that time. And that's kind of like how I learned programming. I used a language called um, Haxe, H-A-X-E. And it's like a multi-platform version of ActionScript basically that gets compiled down to like native code. Um, so w- what was the reason, like what was the feeling? Like you were,
0: you were doing 3D animation, but then you were making these games and you were getting pulled towards maybe doing these games more. Why was that? Like, what was going through your mind? What were you feeling?
1: I was reading all of these blog posts about independent game developers and I really liked the idea of having that life and just sitting there at home making my own games, doing what I want, like, yeah.
0: What were some of the stories that you were reading, like, about these indie game developers? What were they, what was it specifically that was, like, really interesting to
1: you? Um, Just a way that they could kind of, like, live by their own means. There's a dude called David Frampton, I believe who founded Magic Jungle and he's a like a Kiwi, like iOS, MacOS developer. And he made Chopper, a game called Chopper on the iPad that gave him re- like really good success. And there's also since that made The Blockheads, which some of you may have heard. Um, and that's, I don't know. I don't know what it was that attracted me to that. I just like the idea of being my own boss, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, definitely. It yeah. makes sense. It sounds like you're interested in like having that sense of freedom. I think a yeah. lot of people, uh, some people want to work for somebody or they want to create their own app. Um, I think like either way, like what we do as iOS developers or programming in general, uh, we have this like sense of freedom because we can technically do it pretty much anywhere as long as we have like an internet connection, mm-hmm. right? in a laptop. Yeah. And so, yeah, it sounded like you were attracted to this sense of freedom that you could have by... Uh, yeah being your own boss mm. so what did you what did you do did you end up quitting the animation stuff or did you keep doing the mobile game development what did you do
1: uh, well yeah I did in the end and <laughs> uh, it was a okay 11 month course and I I stuck around for uh, I think eight eight months of it the and 3d animation <coughs> course yeah yeah
0: so you ended up dropping it
1: yeah yeah what uh, what went into
0: that decision? Like were were you talking to anybody anybody about it? Were people trying to convince you to not do it? Because yeah, that's my, kind of a tough decision, right? You probably invested time and energy and money into this program. Yeah,
1: it was it was really difficult actually. Um But I kinda like once I got to the Yeah, my parents just hated it. That well, you were obviously quit? obviously they supported me through it, but yeah, they they would have preferred me to to stay. But what did I, you tell them? Well, I just told them like I've gotten to the point that, so, during the course, in order to pass, you had to have a certain amount of attendance, right? And about six months into it, I was getting to the point where I was calculating how many days I could have off in order to still pass. <laughs> and I just took a step back and, like, looked at myself, like, thinking, what the hell am I doing? I just need to just <laughs> just end it, because I'm obviously not enjoying it. Right. And, and yeah, I, I just committed to going to university the year after, and my parents were support me through that, so, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it was probably a tough time, right? It's it, like it a big was, decision. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and a, a well, thing, that, a thing that like helped me out making the decision, which like gave me some hope, was the two games that I made. Uh, like looking back on them, had like pretty good success. So the first game I made was called Chain Reaction, and that had about seventy-two thousand downloads. It was a free game. Wow. Yeah, like, but I was reading all of these blogs, thinking like reading all of these people who were getting like millions of downloads, thinking, oh, if only I could like spend more time on it, I'd get more and, but yeah, without realizing how, how good that actually is, it's pretty incredible. So one of the things that got
0: you through it was the fact that you actually had seen some success. Yeah. Yeah. Did you explain that to your, your family and the people that were around you of like, this is why you're making the decision or this is at least one of the reasons that supports your decision?
1: I I did. I did. Um, yeah, I think at the at the end, I think the thing that came down to it was they really wanted me to see, they wanted me to see me like stick something through and right. finish something.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Okay, so you quit this course that you yep. had been doing for, for eight months and there was just a few months left, but you quit it anyways. That's yep. a really tough decision, but you did it. Mm-hmm. And what did you decide to do?
1: Um, I decided to buy, buy a Mac and try and port my games to the iPad so I could put them on the app store
0: oh because you had <laughs> seen this uh david frampton guy like yeah. oh maybe i need to get my game on the ipad
1: yeah
0: wow okay so was that now at this point you have zero ios experience so now you have to learn ios
1: yeah and i wow. tried the year before like dabbling around and i just could not get my head around objective c Oh square wow. brackets and semicolons like what the hell yeah spaces? yeah spaces in the middle of it like yeah and at
0: signs and asterisks yeah. i had no idea what i was doing Okay, so you take a shot at it, and was this was this during the animation course or after you quit that you it, were it trying was, Objective-C? It was
1: after I, after I left, yeah.
0: Oh, wow. After, okay, yeah. so you leave, you yeah. try to port your game, but yeah. Objective-C is really tough. So now it's like you, have, you made this big decision, <laughs> but you're facing this huge challenge of Objective-C. What do you do?
1: Um, well, I decided not to port the games over and make a different app. In Objective so, C. In Objective C, yeah. That's, wow, I'll what what did you this. decide to make? So I made I made an app called Tides NZ. Is it still in the App Store? It is still in the App Store. Um, yeah, it's, it's had three major revisions so far. Um, How do you and spell I, that
0: Tides NZ?
1: Yeah, yeah. T i d
0: e s N Z. Like ampersand Z E D.
1: Uh, well, just N Z, as in the the letters N, Z.
0: Oh, 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 like for New Zealand? Yeah. Okay, okay, cool. Oh, okay, I see it. I yeah, yeah. see so you just sent it to me. Okay, yeah. cool. So we can still, we can find that on the App Store?
1: You can, yeah. Um, oh, but what does it do? Well, yeah, I don't think it'd be very useful to people listening outside of New Zealand because it <laughs> basically gives you uh, tide predictions for areas around the New Zealand coast.
0: Oh, is that for like
1: surfers? Uh, surfers, um, people who use boats. So there's quite a big boating community over here. Um, wow! And I, what, I, gave... I, what gave me the idea? Um, no, go go ahead. What were you going to say? I was basically just going to say that. Um, so, because when I my 3D animation course was in in Auckland, I used to catch the ferry every day, and I was lo- I was on the ferry every day looking out to see. And at that point, it was over the summer, and me and one of my best mates used to go skimboarding quite a lot. And I don't know if you know skimboarding. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really helpful if the sea is low, so the tide right. is out, yeah. Okay, so there's a lot of sand. A lot of sand, a lot of really like thin layer of water over it. And I found myself going to all of these websites to try and find the lowest tides, and I thought it'd be cool to have an app, basically.
0: Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, Um, my coworker, Daniel, I know, just told me something that, I don't know, maybe I already knew and I forgot, but, but either way, he definitely helped me remember, mm-hmm. um, which is like, if you don't have an idea, um, you know to, to like make something like maybe give it another thought of like what you can make that can improve your life and so it's definitely something I've mm-hmm. been thinking about I feel like maybe that's what we always do for our first idea is like something that we want like we have a need and we want to make it but for um, sure. that's really cool so you had you had this need and and you went out and made it and you did that in objective c
1: uh, yeah it was objective c it still is objective c wow.
0: yeah oh wow wow okay so tell us a little bit about that experience um you go from
1: hacks to Objective-C? Yeah. What, um, like, how, how did you do that? <laughs> a lot of time. It took me like two weeks before I even started to understand how and why there is a difference between spaces and dots in Objective-C when you call in methods or access and properties. Oh, um, wow. But one day I just woke up and I was like, oh my God, I can I can see it. And Oh, I wow. Just one day it just clicked. Yeah. Yeah, it really did.
0: Yeah, I feel like I had uh, a day like that too with Swift right. where it's just like... You don't really get it or some things don't understand but you kind of just keep at it and um eventually it starts to click it starts Mm -hmm. to um, make more sense yeah and i feel like that's like that first hurdle is really hard to get over but once you do there's like a lot of big payoff at the end yeah how long did it take you to make the app
1: uh i think the first version took me about four months maybe oh four weeks sorry
0: Okay, so you 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 know you yeah. quit this course. You mm-hmm. try to make the game, port the game. But it was like, oh, this is like really tough. And then you yeah. decide to make this app. Mm-hmm. Are you now starting to feel like you've made the right decision, or are you still like struggling and thinking like, did I make the right decision, or, or at what point did you realize like, you know what, this is awesome. I I really like this, and I'm gonna keep going.
1: Um, well, I re- it was a point when I released it on the app store, and I felt really proud of making like a really. Nice app with a, like a really cool graph because at that point all the other tides apps that were in New Zealand didn't have like a graph that you could see, so I definitely added something to the app like category, um, and when it's st- when it hit number one in the navigation category, I was like, oh yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Awesome. So, so it did it did pretty well. It still does pretty well. Like, right? yeah, that's
0: great. Okay, so how do you then take? Uh, this one app and translate in that to, you know, becoming... Um, what year was that when you, you know, you released Tides? The first... That must have uh, been, what, 2014 or something?
1: I think it was, like, 2011.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, so you've been doing iOS for uh, quite a while now. Yeah, a wow,
1: little that's while. that's great. That's yeah. great. Okay, oh, so. I want to say 11, but maybe it's, like, 12. Yeah. So how do you eventually end up at uh, Paper Kite? Uh, well... <laughs> I, around the same time I was making Tides, I was fairly active on Twitter, and there was a, a bit of like a New Zealand community who I communicated to fairly like regularly, and they all decided to meet up one day in the city, and uh, I managed to drag my friend along to go and out to the city, because it's about a 50 minute drive, it's quite, it's quite a, a distance, and when I was there having a few drinks, I met somebody who like started used to work at paper Guy. and she was pretty impressed with with what i had done with tides and at the time they were looking for like contractors to help them out with some some workload and just kind of got talking and, and that's kind of yeah how, how I got soon after
0: how yeah. soon after you released uh, tides did you get hired at paper Uh it
1: was about but well, full-time hire it was about a year yeah year oh, Wow.
0: Okay. So then, at this point, are you, are you already are like, okay, this is what I want to do. Like, I, you release tides, and you're like, this is definitely what I want to do. I'm going to keep doing this, and you're sort of, you almost have no more regrets. Like, you made this tough decision, but now it yeah. like you got the payoff.
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. And like, I worked for PaperCut doing contract work during my first year of university, and, well, when it got to the end of the year, I was just like, I could just do contracting for iOS. I reckon. And so,
0: what do you think it is? Uh, what do you think helped you the most, like during during this time? You know, you had to make a tough decision. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people out there that are um, in a similar situation. You know, they're yeah. doing one thing and they're thinking about doing another. Mm-hmm. What do you think it was that um, helped you make what seems to be the right decision? Uh, you know, looking at it now. Like you said, you took a moment and you were like calculating the number of days you could miss. Yeah, um, and still pass the course, and you like had the the mental capacity to like take a step back, you know. Like, what what do you think it was that like uh, got you here? Yeah,
1: I, like incredible amount of luck. Um, <laughs> I didn't have a lot of responsibility either back then. I just so you could take a risk. House. So I could take lots of risks and, and not really worry about it. Yeah. Um, but if if you're not happy what you're doing now, then what have you got to lose to try and make yourself happy by giving something a go like, that's a good point i think right
0: yeah yes. if you don't like what you're doing now like yeah what what can give you it, lose give it a go give yeah. it a go but you're right like some people are in um in a less sort of free situation you know they might have like bills to pay and a mortgage kids a wife yeah, yeah. Um, one of uh, my meetup members um alistair cooper he uh, had he has a wife. I think he had a kid on the way, and he was transitioning from a career that he had had for a really long time into iOS development. And he went for it. Yeah. You know, he took the plunge, and he made it happen. That's awesome. So if that's you, um, you know, you can definitely do it. Mm-hmm. One day we'll have Alistair on, and we'll we'll find out how how he made that happen. Yeah. I'll, I'll look okay. So you start at Paperkite, and what's that like? Like, did you start as just like the only iOS developer, or one, one of the many iOS developers, or what, so, what was like that So when, was, was that
1: like? when I was doing contracting, and I first went down to the office. Um, there was a bunch of contractors. So there's a couple of people, maybe one other doing iOS, and a couple doing Android. And we were just sat in this, this room crunching out code, basically. Um, yeah, what, what am I saying? Um, <laughs> when when I first started full time, there was me, a designer, an Android developer, and the, uh, the project manager, and then Nick, the CEO. Um, yeah, that's kind of what the company looked like.
0: So, how did you eventually get the uh, like the iOS team lead role? Like, I mean, because you were there at the company. Mm. Back in two thousand you know twelve or something, so you've been there quite a while. Yeah, so yeah. it sounds like you grew into the role. How did that come about?
1: So over the years, we kind of hired more people because we had more ambitious projects to try and work on. and um, we just needed more resource. We needed more people to help us out. And I first like when we were when we had around like five developers, I think it was like three or two Android, two iOS, I was the technical lead then, so I kind of looked after both teams. Um, but as we got a bit bigger, like I didn't really want to worry about other aspects of of the products. Really, I, I I'm quite passionate about the iOS side of things, and I decided to to take the role to lead the iOS team. Um, I think growth attributed a lot to it, and just being at the company at an early stage, right, allowed me yeah. allowed that room to grow. Really. So
0: is. Uh, like your iOS work that you do now, do you guys do it all in Swift or is it still some in Objective-C, like maybe some older projects?
1: Uh, so any any new project that we start is all Swift. Um, if we've got an old project that's been written in Objective-C, then we'll continue to write that in Objective-C for now.
0: What was it like um, when uh, Swift was announced? You know, it was announced in June 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, you'd already been doing Objective-C for like a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, were you in a position um, at Paperkite to like, you know, have was it your responsibility to decide like, okay, Swift is out, should we start looking into it? What was that like? What was the conversation like at Paperkite?
1: Um, well, the, the three people who I worked with at that point um, were all very, very excited about it. Um, and we'd just finished up like a bigger project and we were just about to start like a smaller two to four week um, app basically like a really small project and the, like the stars aligned and we just happened to have a good shot at giving it a go at Swift 1.0. Wow you guys
0: started with Swift 1.0? <laughs>
1: yeah in oh, hindsight wow. it was probably a bit cavalier but yeah it was fun it was an interesting couple of weeks.
0: So how many developers are on your team now? Um, iOS developers?
1: Uh, so three others and four including me like over that uh,
0: time period, you know, you've been with the team for a while. Are you um, interviewing a lot of people? Like, since you're sort of like a team, you know, you are a team mm-hmm. lead. You get to interview mm-hmm. and, and recruit people. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, What is it like? What's the landscape like in uh, New Zealand? Like where you live in Wellington, for instance. Like, what are there a lot of uh, experienced iOS developers? A lot of new, um, you know, junior developers. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for instance, like the resumes coming across your table. What What's yeah. like the What's that like?
1: So, so there's a lot of, of junior people floating around. Um, it's really, really hard to find experienced people. Um, yeah, there's quite a, quite a discrepancy between that. Way, way more newer people to the industry, yeah.
0: Right. Are you guys at all, um, have you, are you able to take on like junior people? Have you done that or are you, are you guys more in a position yeah. where you have to hire like experienced people?
1: Um, well, in a bit of both, really. We just hired um, a, a more junior developer, and he's come onto the team and has done really well. Um, uh, when
0: yeah. you say junior, so what does that mean for this person in particular? Like, what's uh, what's their experience like?
1: Uh, so, he, I think he worked in retail for a while, and then oh wow, went to, I think he went to like a coding boot camp, and then... Tried to do like a an app startup for the last couple of years, and it didn't really pan out. So, he, he had a quite a bit of experience in Objective C and working oh, okay. with beacons and stuff, um, and working with a more experienced developer on that project. So, yeah, he 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 was familiar with the iOS SDKs. So even though, um,
0: you know, someone might be a junior person, Mm -hmm. if they have like a unique experience, um, Mm -hmm. like in this person's case, they worked with uh, beacon technology, which is really interesting. Um, You know, not a lot of people probably have worked with that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they had worked under someone who was more experienced Mm -hmm. um, that this person stood out to you. What are some other things that like, um, because there's a lot of people listening who, you know they might be new to programming they might be new to ios or they've mm-hmm. been doing it for a year and they're starting to look for their new job you know their first job yeah um you're someone who's in a position to hire people mm-hmm. uh what would you say to somebody like that uh, to you know help them stand out
1: um one thing that i like to look for is is passion and a willing to learn and a good way that well maybe there is a good way to spot that is how what they, what have they done off their own back, so to speak? If they released any apps to the app store? What side projects do they have? And yeah, because you yeah, I look for the I look for the like the tides and zed of people, if that makes sense. Oh, interesting. Just to oh, like yeah yeah, I want yeah. I want them to have solved one of their problems, or like because they wanted to do it and they've got a passion mm-hmm. for that. Yeah right
0: yeah mm.
1: that's really good. So,
0: what uh. What could you say would be something like one thing someone could do right now to uh, to get into that position you know to so when they their resume like comes across mm-hmm. the, the table and you see it what could be like one thing then that they could do to uh, to focus on um, right now today you know over the next couple months
1: do do something that like solves a problem that you have and then explain why it was a problem and how he solved it basically
0: right on yeah yeah i I feel like uh this is going to be really important you know more and more there's going to be people who are very new to this stuff and uh they're you know we we at farmers are for instance like Mm -hmm. trying to hire some senior people there really aren't that many senior people who are trying to find jobs because they all have jobs already and they really like them yeah but then there's all of these new developers who they are looking for jobs. And so we're going to need to, you know, have opportunities for them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways that um, we, you know, we find opportunities, we make our own opportunities. So for you, it was like going out of town and having a, having a couple beers or whatever and yeah. meeting this person. Like how, what, what advice would you give to somebody um, to make opportunities like that for themselves?
1: Uh, always, always go to like Cocoa Heads, iOS developer meetups and just just talk to people. Because that, that's yeah. a really good indication on how like into it some people are. Right. Where they do like talks on some crazy weird API that nobody's really ever used, but they just spend a night having a look at it and doing something with it. Um, people, fi- people love that, yeah.
0: So speaking of like meetups, uh, what's this scene like in uh, Wellington where you live? What's the meetup scene like?
1: Um, so for, for iOS, there's basically one, which is the, the Wellington Cocoa Heads, or Cocoa Heads Wellington, I think the official title is. Um, and there's about 15 devs who go quite regularly. We try and host one maybe once every six weeks. Um, yeah, I wonder if there's
0: a lot of beginners in Wellington that are trying to, uh, to learn how, how many people are in the city? Is it like a city of a million, millions of people? Or? Uh,
1: I, I, I don't think there's a million people. Uh, there's only 4 million people at, or nearly four and a half million people in New Zealand. Um, oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> um, it's probably like all of LA, right?
0: I think LA has like a couple millions of people, maybe yeah. 10 million or something. I don't know. <laughs> so two, two New
1: Zealand's worth. Yeah.
0: How many people live in Los Angeles? Uh, Yeah, wow, you were right. 3.9 million as of 2014.
1: Okay.
0: New York has 8.4 million. Mental. So uh, the reason I I ask is um, I wonder if there's an opportunity to do like a Learn Swift uh, Wellington uh, meetup over there. I've been getting Mm -hmm. hit up by a lot of people around the world. um, Right. For to, to create meetups like I just got hit up. Uh, shout out to Antonio. Oh no, sorry, Andreas Antonio. I don't know, Andrea Antonio. I think in Milan. Nice. Like this guy uh, Daryl. He started like Learn Swift Tokyo. Um, who knows? Maybe there's an opportunity to do like a Learn Swift Wellington, and um, we can support the people that are you know just coming up uh, and trying to learn iOS. Yeah. Uh, but that's cool that you guys have a Cocoa Heads uh, in Wellington. How often do you go?
1: Uh I I try and go every every time there is one, yeah. And you give talks there? Uh occasionally, yeah. I've I've given given a couple.
0: What was the last talk you gave
1: on? The the last talk. I think it was about uh like application architecture at Paper and how we've kinda changed our approach over the years. Or the different approaches we've tried over the years. Yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. like, w- one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was about the coordinators, like, flow controller thing. Mm. Uh, maybe we should describe, like, what that is uh, real quick. But, like, are you, are you, uh, do you have opportunities to, like, actually implement this kind of architecture at PaperCut?
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. It's, it's been, <laughs> it's been, it's, a, been, it's, been a, it's been really fun in the last two large projects that, that I've worked on. And I think it, like, saved me in in one of them. Yeah. Okay,
0: well let's let's talk about it because it was definitely something I I wanted to spend a good amount of time talking on. So cool. let's explain it. Let me let me try to give my sort of definition of it, mm-hmm. and then uh, I'd love to get your perspective on it too. So um, I think I first heard about it from um, Yariv, Nassim, and Lasha, uh, who are my you know friends and meetup members here in LA. Cool. Um, you know I was like, hey, you know I want to do this type of a navigation thing and they're like, oh, you should check out presenting coordinators. Mm-hmm. And I look it up and there's this NS Spain talk, uh, a it's on like Vimeo. Super weird. it's like like the audio is like messed up. it's like this but it's like a cool video, but it's yeah. like hard to kind of watch it because yeah. it's on Vimeo and like the audio's <laughs> messed up or something anyways. Um, and so he kind of I don't know if he invented it, but like he brought it to sort of uh, fame in the iOS community. And uh, he talks about it in Objective C a lot. Um, but the basic idea is all of the uh, flow, so like presenting a view controller or pushing a view controller, like those calls and the decision making, we pull that out of the view controller into another object, which you can call anything. Uh, Sarouche calls it a coordinator. Um, Christoph Zablotsky and the guys over at New York Times, like Chris They call it a flow controller, Um, but that object owns the view controller and it uh, manages the pushing or presenting uh, the navigation sort of flow um, instead of the view controllers doing that, which makes the view controllers very reusable. They're not context specific. They just display data and respond to user interaction. There was not a lot of Objective C stuff, uh, uh, Swift um, related um, writings about it. It was all in Objective C because, like, Sarouche, you know, kind of invented Mm -hmm. it, Mm -hmm. and there wasn't like that much, um, online about it. But, um, I feel like very recently you put out an article that talked about it, and it was all in Swift. Mm -hmm. And then for like a couple weeks there, there was like a lot of momentum and talk about it. You were posting a lot about it, you were doing all, um, you posting on Twitter about like how you were graphing the flow and the ownership models of mm-hmm. all your uh, coordinators and all your view controllers. Um, yeah. So, anyways, that's sort of the basic of like where it came from and what it does. Uh, what's your perspective?
1: Uh, well, exactly, exactly what you just said. Really, um, it kind of blew my mind. When I, I remember the Vimeo video as well of Saroosh. and when I'm watching that, it again, it was just another like aha click. Blew our mind moment where you could have objects outside of the view controller lifecycle that control your application. I'd never ever had that perspective before, and yeah, it's incredible.
0: What would you say uh, to someone who's thinking about um, using it? Like when you know mm. when is a good time? You know, I, I feel like someone was asking me actually recently on Twitter. Yeah. I can't remember. Oh, Zach. Zach Flagout, I believe, is the way you say his last name. He was like, um, you know, Garrick, like, when should I use MVVM or like the Mm -hmm. coordinator pattern and stuff like that? And I was like, you know what? First, master MVC and like understand how that works and Mm -hmm. then um, start playing around with these other architectures. Like, what are your thoughts on that subject?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, For me, I've had really good um, results using the coordinator pattern when the applications have been fairly large so like f- around 50 view controllers and wow there there are obvious flows through that throughout the application that can be reused in multiple places um an example of this would be uh in in the bp me nz app that i that recently It's all in coordinators now and And the flows where you can, like, edit your user account can be presented and managed from various places in the app. And now it's as simple as presenting the account coordinator from any other place in the app, and you can get all the account stuff for... Well, you can connect all the account stuff to that part in the app. It's hard to explain. No, it's really cool. (laughs) I know
0: exactly what you're saying. So rather than having to redo the flow, this, like... um profile management flow mm-hmm. in two different contexts you just sort of start the flow and yeah. it just handles itself and you don't have yeah. to worry about, about it. You, you write. It's,
1: it's about making like reusable flows and then composing your application of these flows that's kind of how yeah. i look at it
0: yeah yeah super cool one of the things that i'm uh, confused about or, or struggling with is um and i i i I solved it in a way that works um, mm-hmm. for, for, for our particular situation, which is um, you might push a flow, like start a flow and push it. Yeah. Um, but you might want to, in another context, present the flow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Have you seen that issue come up yet?
1: Uh, yeah. And I don't really know what the best answer is, but I kind of solved it by asking why why should you have the same flow in different contexts? Um, Maybe from a user experience point, that's not a good thing. I right. Again, that's my opinion. So the way that I kind of try and recognize whether I need a new coordinator or not is whether it's a presented flow. So I kind of look at it like every coordinator should have a navigation controller. It should own a navigation controller, and it controls the flow, the horizontal flow that's in that. Mm. Any Anything that's presented should be or anything that, yeah, anything that's presented should be a brand new coordinator.
0: Ah, uh, I see. So it's more like
1: composing your app of, like, horizontal flows. It gets a bit unusual when you're playing around with tab bars, though. Right, um, right. But in, th- in that case, I would make each tab have its own coordinator and have right. a tab bar coordinator, yeah.
0: That's what I'm doing right now. Actually, mm-hmm. if you go on my GitHub to my Flyer um, open source Flyer project, um, to mm. the uh, I have a branch where I'm refactoring it using the coordinator pattern. Um, that's what I do. I have a tab bar controller that's owned. That's like the basically like the root view controller of um, the window, right? Um, and like the app coordinator owns that tab bar controller, and then like the each tab is its own flow. So you have like the feed uh, coordinator, profile coordinator, post coordinator, etc. Cool. Uh, one of the things that I've been uh, struggling with is like the way I've solved it is because I'm trying to experiment with MVVM and the coordinator pattern. I'm not sure if that's what you're doing as well. Uh, are you? Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So then this is going to be good. We can talk about this. Like mm-hmm. um, I've decided to have the view controller have one point of, of, of communication. It only speaks to the view model. And so I like inject the view controller with the view model, and the view model the view controller gets data you know gets data from the view model and sends messages to the view model. So if the user presses a button, the the view controller forwards that message to the view model, and then in the view model is where I decide am I sending data back to the view controller or am I calling a delegate method. Uh, you know the view model has a delegate, yeah. uh, who is a coordinator usually, and then letting the coordinator handle, uh, you know, fetching data or responding to you know user interaction. Mm-hmm. And I I remember I asked you on Twitter like what are your thoughts and it does feel like we're sort of in the wild wild west in a way. Um, some of these yeah. questions aren't answered. <laughs> how, how are you dealing with that,
1: uh, that problem? So due to like the the, the way that the project like, has evolved over its life. Um, the view controller speaks to the coordinator and the view model literally just contains all of the logic of the view controller. Um, and any, like, actions that the like user input is kind of captured in the view controller and then passed to the coordinator, such as when you tap, like, a, a navigation item, bar button item. Uh, that's passed straight to the coordinator. Um, so I don't know if we're, like, it's 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 weird. I I don't really know.
0: You know, I think there's yeah. no answer and yeah. I think I've heard people say that that's how they do it too. So yeah. but then but then it's um like somewhere you need to decide am I sending this to the view model or mm-hmm. am I sending it to some other object that is going to then maybe create a new view model or a yeah. new model object. Yeah. So you're saying like user presses um, like the the plus button or the save button or something. Yeah. And you're, you're sending that message off like with a delegate method. Uh, like the view controller has a delegate that is the coordinator.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. I, I like the idea that it goes, that everything goes through the view model and the the view model's delegate is the coordinator. I really like that. And, have, you, have you checked out the Kickstarter iOS app?
0: Yeah, recently because um, Chris Eidhoff and Florian, yeah. I, can't remember, I don't know how to say it, they did a, a Swift Talk with That's, Kickstarter and like yeah. the first one was Brandon Williams. Yeah. I'm so excited about that. it was really cool. Yeah. yeah, right? It was such a good video. Yeah. It it awesome. me, tell me about it.
1: Uh, well, <laughs> when it first came open source, I checked it out, downloaded it, and <laughs> it's, just, it's just mental. It, it's completely functional reactive iOS app uh based on like mvvm and it i've it's such a fantastic resource to try and learn how to use like reactive cocoa and the mvvm pattern it's it's incredible and i i I can't wait to see the the swift talks on it yeah
0: yeah i took a look at that project and they are doing some really interesting stuff and um they have they're co-locating their tests Mm -hmm. so like you'll see they'll have like. the MVVM, whatever, their view model, and then the view model test is in the same file. They're like testing their view controllers using like FB snapshot test case or whatever. Yeah, it's like totally reactive, and they were saying how um, the patterns are very similar between their Android and iOS application, and so like the, I can't remember the other person's name that works at Kickstarter, but she was saying how she works on both now, like iOS and Android, but that talk was so good, like, and Chris Eidhoff, I, I messaged him on Twitter. I was like, "Dude, you're so funny," because you know he does. It, it, you, know, you normally don't see him doing iOS development. Like it's always like this, like really like advanced, just Swift thing yeah. that's not necessarily iOS development. Mm-hmm. So it was really funny to watch him do iOS development with Brandon.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I like Chris. I met him in um, at the playgrounds conference in Melbourne. And oh, cool! Uh, he did this amazing uh, like live coding talk and with no mistakes. It's pretty special. So you went to Playgrounds? Yeah, yeah.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, we had Andy on the show just before uh, Playgrounds.
1: Oh, yeah. I listened to that. It's cool. How was that? It it was amazing, really. I, I really enjoy going to conferences to try and meet everybody and just get inspired by the community. I always come away feeling so good.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 I know what you mean. Sometimes yeah. it's like, I've, I've been to... So I get that feeling like at my meetups, but at a conference, it's even more because there's so many more people. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only been to one like real tech, you know, SWIFT conference which yeah. is SWIFT Summit. Um, I'm going to DubDub. Dub. I, I haven't really cool. like officially announced it to like yeah. any anybody, but like, uh, yeah, I'm going to DubDub. Dub, um, so that'll be like crazy, like overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like so many people and this just amazing energy. It's like too much yeah. sometimes.
1: Have you been before?
0: No, I've never been to dub, dub. No, yeah.
1: It's, yeah. It's cool. I, I managed to, I was lucky enough to get a ticket via work last year and yeah, it's such a surreal experience. Make sure you so spend you w- some time in the labs to try and speak to the Apple engineers as well.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you went for the first time last year?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. It was awesome. Me me, and Farley, another iOS dude who I work with here. Yeah.
0: What other advice do you have then for me uh, if uh, <laughs> since it's my first year?
1: Yeah, go to, go to the labs, over going and watching the talks, because the talks are recorded, so you can watch them at a later date. Um, and just just speak to people. Make your contacts, like, talk.
0: Yeah. Right on. Yeah, it's like, and, I was just talking to, some, sorry, go
1: ahead. And, well, I'll, I'll be there as well, so I'd, I'd like to meet up. Oh, you're going? Yeah. I'm not going to WWDC, but I'm going to, hopefully going to the altconf.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah I'm going to go check out AltConf. Um, we might be doing a Swift Coders meetup, like meet and greet at oh, AltConf. Yeah? Cool. Yeah, I'm waiting to hear back. I'm pretty sure it's going to happen because they emailed me. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'll announce more details on that later.
1: Awesome. Um,
0: but yeah, if that happens, that's going to be really cool. I definitely want to hang out. Oh, yeah, we, we mentioned, we I messaged already. You told me you're going to be yeah. at DubDub. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be super cool. Yeah. Um, I'm staying at this like hotel that's kind of by the airport. So it's like, okay. I'm gonna have to take the bus every morning or like the metro. It's <laughs> like, I think it's like four miles or something or yeah. a mile or a couple of miles it's north.
1: It's so deceiving um, because America is so big. When, you come, when you're looking at it on Google Maps and you're like planning where you wanna go, um, what looks like a couple of blocks in Wellington would, that would take you maybe like five minutes to walk. <laughs> you put the directions on Google Maps in like LA or San Jose. And it, it says like fifty-six minutes to walk. It's the scale is just unbelievable, <laughs> mental. Yeah. Did you get a hotel that's kind of close? Uh, we've got an Airbnb somewhere. Nice. Yeah. Don't know. Nick, nice. Nick sorted all that out, so.
0: Okay, so uh, we're coming towards the end. So before we uh, before we do, and um, I want to talk a little bit more about the coordinator stuff because you were doing yeah. some really cool things with graphing the coordinators. Mm. Can you tell us like exactly? And you had like two different iterations of it, like two different types, two different yeah. ways that you were doing it. Yeah. So can you tell us like what was going on at the time and like what were you doing and why did you do it and what did you do?
1: So another reason why I really like the coordinator pattern is because it's really easy to, to write on a whiteboard and talk about it to the team. When you're planning to add new screens or new features, it's just really easy to write up all the different flows and everyone kind of gets on the same page if, if each horizontal block is basically a coordinator and I just wondered if one day if there would be a way to automatically pass in your xcode project and then just spit out like a hierarchical hierarchical graph of the flows in your application and so I I spent a bit of time playing around with that
0: how did you do it like what was the first way Uh, I know one one of the ways you use like sorcery right? And yeah. then the other way you used some graph whiz thing.
1: Yeah, so so the first way was a bit, bit hacky, just kind of more like a proof-of-concept type thing and I basically whipped up some JavaScript in Node that read the files and then basically did text analysis on all the Swift files in the project to try and figure out which coordinator has a delegate that's this protocol type and then who implements that protocol, and based on that, I could spit out a file that Graphviz can can generate uh, an image from. Wow, that seems pretty cool. like pretty
0: technical stuff. So is that because the view controller and the delegate and the coordinator are usually all around kind of named similarly, and that's how you're able to do like a a scalable uh, script?
1: Yeah, yeah, especially on that first version. I I was literally stripping or finding the delegates in all of the view controllers. And if it was ended in coordinator, then you could take the first part of the view controller name and then figure out which coordinator it belongs to. Yeah.
0: And because usually the protocol definition you're defining in the same file as the view controller? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So wait, Um, so what are you... So are you, like, what do you call that delegate then? Are you calling, like, let's say it's called, um, I don't know, feed view controller, right? So your view controller for yeah. the feed. So, so would be... you have, like, a feed coordinator delegate or something?
1: Oh, sorry. Um, I think I explained it wrong. But I'd have the feed view controller that has a feed view controller delegate. And okay. then I'd have, like, a home coordinator. And inside that, I've got functions that kind of, like, say, show feed view. Or show feed detailed you, or something like that. And based on the naming, I can kind of figure out which view controllers link where. Which is why the wow. first version was really, really hacky, and it only works on some projects if you followed this like very strict naming way. Um, which is why so I kind the, of started looking into sorcery.
0: Okay, so sorcery yeah. was the second way
1: that you yeah. did it then. Yeah. Okay. So what did you? How
0: did you do that? Okay, so sorcery, if you guys don't remember, is this open source. Uh, project written by Christoph Soblotsky. It is a meta programming library that basically can generate code for you code gen uh, library um, for Swift um, so it can like uh, you know automatically make your enums or structs or classes for instance conform to equatable if you want that or something like that right so how did you
1: how did you think to use sorcery and what how did you use it um well, I, I've not actually used Sorcery to auto-generate stuff yet. It's some of that I'd, I would like to integrate into one of the projects. But in order to, in order for Sorcery to figure out all the different types in your directory of files, it must somehow have knowledge of Swift and the language. And it does that by using, I think, Sourcekitten. Sourcekitten, yeah.
0: J.P. Yeah. Simard, who we had on yeah. recently.
1: Yeah. And... It uses that to get an understanding of the language so you don't need to make assumptions about names of names of strings or class names in a file it literally understands that there is a a class here named this that implements these protocols and from that you can try and build a bit more of a a safer analysis program i guess
0: right you're not just reading yeah. Uh, text like strings you're actually it's almost like type safe sort of uh, processing of a file
1: yeah it understands the language and then you can figure out attributes and properties based on that yeah
0: so well, what did you do did you like force did you fork sorcery and then like edit it to do something different or how did you end up
1: using it um yeah i just i just cloned it down and started hacking hacking around and tried to see what i could make so sorcery is, a, is an application that implements that uses, I think, Sorcery is a framework as well. Oh, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe Source Kitten. I used, (laughs) yeah, I I can't really remember. It was was a couple months ago. Uh, But yeah, I just hacked around in the source code and tried to figure out a way that I could use it. So rather than generating templates, it would find all the coordinator protocol and figure out all the different coordinators. Yeah,
0: And like what view controllers they own. Yeah. Yeah. And then how did you make that, like, into a graph again? Did you use GraphWiz?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. And I I tried I played around with a bit of D3 as well, so sort the of JavaScript stuff, to try and make it a bit more visual. But mm-hmm. I really like GraphWiz because it's just easy. Yeah.
0: So what would you say are some of the... Because, like, all this coordinator stuff is still pretty new. Like, what do, what do you say are some of the challenges that you're facing um, or that you have faced and, like, what are the ups and downs? Like, for instance, we talked about this online. Um, when you use the coordinator pattern, there ends up being a little bit of um, repetition, like duplication mm-hmm. of some code. Mm-hmm. But uh, we talked about that, and you said it's definitely worth it. And like, even Christoph and Chris, I think um, they mentioned that's true, but it's definitely worth it. What are some other like trade offs or, or challenges that you're facing?
1: Um it's just a lot of code to write again like what what, what we said um any other trade offs
0: what are some of the things that you is there anything else that you i mean do you think i, like, I guess
1: one challenging thing is that like 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 we said it's it's like a new concept right. and when you experiment you don't really know if you're doing it like the right way right um and you just got to hope that you make the right decision have you do you have anybody that you talk to um
0: whether at your work or at your meetup groups, where you can really show it to them and show them how you're using it and get some really good feedback, because yeah. like yeah. I'm doing some coordinator stuff at work, but I don't really know anybody, uh, you know, in at work or, mm-hmm. or I haven't had a chance to to show what I'm doing to someone who kind of knows more than me to tell me, right. you know, this is good, but this is why it might be bad. You know, really talk about mm-hmm. it. You have or what?
1: Um- yeah, I, so the people I work with are like supportive of, of my ideas, um, and I often just just chat with them. So we have like a, a meeting every week to so just see how the team's going and talk about new things that we've been playing with. And I often use that as an excuse to bring up coordinator talk and talk about things that have found difficult in some of the projects.
0: Are you pretty um, dead set on it? Like, do you think? At least for these bigger projects as you said where you have like 50 view controllers you think it's definitely the way to go or Um, do you feel like we found like sort of the the end-all be-all pattern or what
1: i've been searching ever since i started making ios apps for like the end-all be all thing but i'm starting to believe that there isn't (laughs) yeah with 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 architecture it's always like it's always a bunch of trade-offs right and It's, it's great for the size of apps that we're doing, but one of the other apps that we've recently done, um, Waleeg, my colleague, um, wrote it in Viper and that's interesting. I mean, have you played around, played around with that at all? uh, That's the what
0: view, interactor, presenter, entity,
1: router? Yes. Yeah. And the router in that, or the router in that, however you say it, (laughs) um, reminds me of what a coordinator is. Okay. So there's some similarities there, but obviously Viper splits up your application uh, a lot, a lot more. So it's even more boilerplate than Coordinator, which is um, why I, which is why I like the Coordinator pattern as like a, a intermediate between the two. It's not as verbo- verbose as Viper, but it's not as like messy. <sighs> Mess is the wrong word, but as like what MVC can be in terms of like your navigation logic. It's a good wh- good. In-between.
0: What does your like basic coordinator look like? For me, it's you have a root view controller. Um, mm-hmm. The way I've I pretty much in production, I've only implemented it in one flow. And like this particular flow, the view controller is guaranteed um, on a knit, so it's like not an optional uh, view controller. <laughs> um, I have not. I originally like started out using this like start method, but that turned out to not even really be necessary. Uh, the way that I'm doing it, yeah, um, and then. I think I even got rid of um, delegate methods for like, you know, coordinator did finish. Um, So like right now, it's pretty much just I have a a root view controller, the presenting coordinator Mm -hmm. or the, you know, whoever uh, um, is presenting or starting this flow basically just creates the coordinator, gets a hold of the root view controller um, and I think just pushes it or presents it, whatever you know, whatever the context is. Yeah. For me, it's it's a push or present because, as I said, it's like two different contexts. Yeah. Um, and then the way I'm I'm doing it is the <clears throat> the coordinator is the delegate of a view model, mm-hmm. and uh, the view controller loads and calls uh, viewed load on the view model, letting the view model know that the view controller's view has loaded. Then the view model is like, okay, delegate, give me some data, and um, because of the way I, ar- I architected it, the the fetching of the data actually happens outside of the view model. The, the coordinator is actually doing it. Um, Sarush actually posted recently about this, um, his his next his latest um, article on uh, the coordinator series that he's doing. He's talking about how he's giving the coordinator like one extra duty, which is like per- perhaps also fetching some data. I think he said. Right um, and so uh, coordinator will fetch some data and then inject uh, or configure actually the view model. And the view the, the coordinator sees the view model um, as one protocol and the view controller sees the view model as another protocol, which is interesting. So like the, then the coordinator just calls configure view model with like new model mm-hmm. and then the view model will um, output um, or, or, or call a completion block uh, a closure. Uh, letting letting the view controller know your model's been updated but like what does your coordinator look like like what's the basic like if you were to create a coordinator protocol or something like what mm-hmm. does it look like
1: so so that's kind of the approach that i took was to create was define a protocol and it and again i struggled to define exactly what it was but basically it's got a start function it has a, a root view controller which is a UI view controller, so it could be either a navigation controller, tab bar, or view controller. Under the uh, hood, right? Under the yeah. hood, yeah. But and, it's always
0: a UI view controller. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, to to the to the consumer.
1: Yes. Yeah. Right. Just so it can like present it or push it or, or whatever. Right. Um. That, that what the parent can do that. Yep. Um. And other than that, that that that's basically it. That's all you can like bring it down to because it's not like a, a very strict. Um, pattern so to speak it's just more of a but well, it's not a strict set of like classes to implement it's right, a, it's, right. it's more of a pattern to follow and there is right. no right way of doing it i don't think
0: uh, uh one thing that i was struggling with was under uh, trying to figure out like who should set navigation items so um, mm-hmm. like where is the initial like navigation items uh, being set like let's say you start a flow like the uh, User profile mm-hmm. uh, management flow, and you present the root view controller of this yeah. flow. Um, is is the coordinator, um, ra- you know, is the coordinator's root view controller a, a UI navigation controller with like that top view controller, like the profile view controller, let's say, yeah, yeah. Um, and and the navigation items are being set inside the coordinator, or is the presenting you know, coordinator or presenting view mm-hmm. controller, setting those navigation items.
1: Um, um, yeah, it's, it's it's hard on that. Um, the way that that I've done it in the past is is literally doing that inside the profile view controller. So in the init method of that, then you can set up how the navigation item is configured, oh, interesting. yeah.
0: See where that starts to get confusing, I think, yeah. and this goes back to like different contexts. Mm-hmm. is like, if it's being pushed or presented those yeah. navigation items might be different but again that goes back to what you were saying about maybe that's not the right like ui ux in general uh,
1: yeah again that's my, my opinion maybe but um but if not you can ha- you can define an enum for the view controller that's like presentation mode and it pushed or presented right. and based on that any initialize the view controller with that and based on the contents of that it can configure the navigation bar differently right right but yeah, yeah i guess i guess it depends on who you consider should set up the navigation bar, be the parent or the child, yeah,
0: yeah so I'm trying to have it be the the parent set the navigation um, mm-hmm. items because, like that the parent knows the context in which it, the view controller is being presented. But then yeah. where that becomes difficult is, let's say there's like a save button, yeah, and user taps the save button. Well, you would want that selector that action Mm -hmm. to be inside the view controller because on save you might want to get some data that um you know uh, i mean i guess if you're doing mvvm that might live inside of the the view model but like you want to get some data whether it's in the view controller or the view model but if you set the navigation item in the coordinator you don't really have access to that stuff yeah so that was something i was struggling with um yeah yesterday when i was playing around with it
1: yeah and also another thing comes to mind is if you have like a, a your table view and you want to add an edit mode in in the navigation item and you're just toggling the different items or changing the title on the button is it up to the view controller to do that or the coordinator and i i i i reckon it's a view controller but again it's it's a, it's a tricky one it's a tricky yeah. one yeah yeah <laughs> it's the wild
0: i feel like it's the wild wild west with yeah. this with this topic but it's really fun actually yeah. Okay, so we've definitely come to um, the end of this episode. But before we go, I want to do um, a couple things. And the first is, uh, I don't know if you've been listening to the last couple episodes, but I've been doing this like rapid fire section. Okay. Um, and so the first question on the rapid fire is, what drives you?
1: Um... <laughs> beautiful software that makes people like happy to use i think it's really important really important for me yeah yeah i like that uh desktop or laptop uh i would have to say laptop i've been using a laptop for the last couple of years it's just nice to be able to get out and go to a cafe and chill for a bit
0: yeah yeah what laptop are you using right now
1: so i've got a uh one of the new macbook pros with the touch bar with the touch bar yeah nice are you touching that touch bar or what? (laughs) I am the the most useful thing I found is when I am listening to like a a mix of audio on YouTube so like a really like a three hour long dead mouse mix or whatever when I'm coding and I want to be able to pause it quickly but I don't want to have to find the tab that it's in on the touch bar you've got the media controls that allow you to see the current progress and pause and play the YouTube video that's embedded in Safari nice yeah so it's it's kind of cool the um i was a bit skeptical at first but there, there are a very very few use cases that again just make it really pleasant to use that's
0: cool yeah. yeah i'm hoping to get one of those um all the new um hires at farmers are getting mm-hmm. like all these new like touch bar Macs. i'm like what do you like <laughs> you know like seniority right like <laughs> the, we should get the new touch bars and then they should get like the older computers yeah Um, But one of the guys at my work said he's down to trade my Mac for his because he actually like thinks it's a pain in the butt because it's like USB-C and it doesn't have like the MagSafe connector. And so he's like, he's claiming he's down to trade. I don't know. We'll see. I'm going to hold him to it and see see if he's really willing to take the plunge. Um, Okay. Desktop. uh, Sorry. uh, Standing or sitting?
1: Oh, I would say sitting. Nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I uh, I stand in the morning. I try to stand in the morning and like sit Mm -hmm. in the afternoon after lunch. Yeah, Uh, I I get from sorry, go ahead.
1: Sorry, (laughs) I just get too tired, and then I'm concentrating on my body rather than getting into the flow of coding. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, like how am I standing or or something like that? My feet end up getting really like sore if I stand for Mm -hmm. too long. Uh, Get from the command line or the GUI?
1: Uh, The GUI. Ooh, what's yeah. your what's your favorite? Uh, I don't really have a favorite, but the most functional one that I've come across is SourceTree. Cool. Don't, yeah. Yep. Yeah. It does the job.
0: Uh, do you, Do you do any uh, terminal stuff? Any terminal text editing or anything?
1: Um, well, cloning Git stuff, I I do. Um, if I want to open a project in in Atom or Visual Studio Code, I do it via the command line.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, So, Adam is is your favorite text editor? uh,
1: Which is slowly converting
0: to Visual Studio Code. Visual Studio. That's Microsoft, right? Yeah,
1: it's freaking good. Interesting. I heard
0: something about this, like an article I read. Or not an article. uh, I saw something like that Visual Studio Code is like becoming a favorite or something like that.
1: Yeah, it's really good. Really? What's up with... It's so snappy and it Uh. uses like next to no resources, I, I think. I've never had any issues wow. with my fans warming up or anything. It just feels so fast. If I could write Swift in that, that'd be that'd be cool.
0: Oh, so you're not writing Swift in it? No, no. Uh, okay. Just it's like when you're writing some JavaScript or something, or, or like yeah. or editing just editing text files
1: or something? Anything other than, than Swift and, and a bit of C plus okay. plus, yeah. yeah. Okay. You do C plus plus? Uh tiny amounts. I'm playing around with, with juice framework right now, which is like an audio framework oh yeah.
0: that's right you're making um this like audio looper thing or something
1: yeah that, that's the plan that's the plan it's, a it's like a project. mac program right uh it's a vst so you could use it you can theoretically use it on windows as well and um, your what language are you using to make that so it's done in c++ wow yeah which is weird
0: i did a little bit of c++ recently um actually i should probably yeah um i i Got a PR merged into the Swift open I source. I saw project. that.
1: That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, definitely like Robert uh, Widman, I believe yeah. is the way you say his last name, Codify um, yeah. on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like, could not have done it without him. And then oh. also Ayaka's talk contributing to open source Swift. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, there's just no way. Like, it wouldn't have happened. Like, I almost feel like it's kind of like bad, like almost like <laughs> plagiarism or something. Like, because he like sent me a patch. You know, he was like, yeah. We worked on it together, but yeah. like there was like some things I couldn't figure out. He just like sent me a patch, and then, uh, but like I still like spent a lot of time and like got it through the process and mm-hmm. ran the tests, and so that's all C uh, At least the that part of mm. it, like the compiler type checker thing. Yeah. you should. Did um, you take a look? Maybe you could like uh, help out. I mean, since you know C
1: <laughs> no, no, is probably a strong word.
0: <laughs> yeah, you should, man. Uh, look, dude, I, I did it. Well, you yeah. could definitely do it i mean if you're interested
1: oh I, i'm super interested i saw your tweet actually and uh i actually cloned the swift repository with the intention to to check it out check out some of the start books know starter um, yeah, yeah cool. let
0: me know cool. i uh i have a, a lot of experience with just like trying to get it set up okay so i can like give you all the little tips and tricks that yeah. um robert has taught me and, and the things that ayaka I like I had that. mentioned and yeah, I mean, I think it's cool to just go through the process and to see like what goes into making this language, and then potentially like contributing if, if, you know. Yeah. Especially since you like, I feel like you're, you know, you you you're a part of the community in the sense of like you help out, like you write blog posts and you you give talks at your local meetup, and so you can teach people. Yeah. Once once you go through the process. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, testing or no testing at PaperCut. <laughs>
1: uh <laughs> no testing right now um but it it will be a focus going forward oh yeah how come yeah um just some sort of like some of these larger projects i've been working on have been it been fun to make changes to and have any confidence that that we've done the right thing right it's right. yeah i i never saw the value of it before so like the my my app Tizen Z has got no tests, and again with that I recognise that that's <laughs> insane to be able to touch an app maybe once a year and do some data updates, do some UI changes, and make sure that it all still 100 percent works. It's yeah, I now see the value in it, and it's something that, that one of the team members league has been been pushing for for a lot.
0: I mean, it's something that's, I guess, bigger in, like, web development and Ruby, uh, and I think it's becoming more, more, like, important and valuable in iOS, especially bigger projects. Yeah. Um, There's tons of resources uh, for, like, just getting started, and Mm -hmm. I I don't think it's necessary, right? You can have a project without any tests, but yeah, I think, like, for maybe for your, since you guys are an agency and you have these big projects that you maybe, you want to maintain, yeah. I think there's like yeah. certain places where you can have tests and feel better, you know, more secure and find bugs. We, we, we've
1: we've made a we've made a start to do that. So we do have there's there's about a hundred tests I think in BP, but it more tests like the API data side of stuff rather than the UI logic and and the view models. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's see. Oh, your Twitter. Let's go check out your Twitter. Uh, um. So your Twitter bio we already sort of talked about iOS developer, iOS team lead, paper kite dabbler, creator of Tides, uh, uh NZ. NZ
1: yeah.
0: uh, attempts to play guitar without annoying flatmates. Yeah. Nice. You play guitar?
1: Uh yeah, I I freaking love it. I've oh playing, awesome. Been playing for about uh, it must be about a year and a half to two years now.
0: Cool. Um, is that why you're making the uh that looper thing?
1: Yeah it is yeah. Um, It'd be fun to play around. I'm a, I'm quite a big uh, fan of, of Ed Sheeran and the things oh, that Oh Ed Sheeran, does. Yeah. yeah. And the things that he does with his guitar and, and loop setup is is pretty incredible. So Ran right on. Yeah.
0: Alright, and then I'm looking at your Twitter profile picture. You look like you're yeah, you're in a tuxedo. <laughs> uh you got your Apple Watch on. Of course. You got your uh, what is that, iPhone
1: six yep. S? Uh six. Oh, six. Yep. sorry.
0: And uh yeah, were you like at, going to a wedding or something?
1: Uh, I think that was the night we were going to the Wellington High Tech Awards. Oh where, wow! Yeah.
0: Where, and you kind gonna have this look on your face, like, uh, I guess. <laughs> I, or let's see, what is it?
1: Yeah.
0: Maybe. The, it's kind of like maybe or maybe. Hmm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I look like taking photos of of myself pulling funny faces. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's a funny face for sure. What heart. about
0: the Twitter, um, like, uh banner it's like a garage
1: oh so that's my parents house up in auckland cool and i just i just really like the photo yeah. <laughs> not changed it for a while it's uh, great um
0: let's see one of your last uh, oh excited to see atp live so you uh registered to see the live atp um after uh the what state of the union i think on monday yeah uh dub dub
1: yeah so that, that should be so, good fun
0: all right, cool. I'm gonna try to go. I, I didn't get tickets because, like, I just have no idea what is even happening like at, on a Monday yeah. at that time. Like, mm-hmm. it's 5 p.m. Maybe I'm supposed to be at a Dub Dub. I yeah. don't know because I've never been. So I, I kind of lagged. And then when I was like, you know what, I should just get a ticket to be safe. Mm-hmm. They already sold out. Oh, um, <clears throat> yeah, one of my friends said that they, uh, they might have an extra ticket. But uh yeah, if anybody's uh, out there is listening and they have an extra ticket to uh the ATP Live at Dubdub Dub, uh at AltConf, uh let me know. I'd be down to go. I think it's probably going to be pretty cool. Um it's interesting like where is everybody going to go after Dubdub Dub, like tonight, <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, yeah. Um been checking out uh parties for Dubdub Dub DC. Shout out to Gennady um to see like what like what's happening and yeah, I keep looking like see if any events have been updated. Um yeah, but yeah, that'll be cool. Yeah, it should uh, be. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, before we go, uh, real quick, I just wanted to shout out to a couple of my new Patreon subscribers or, or patron supporters. I guess uh, Patreon supporters. Um, Jay Mu Musafi, I think. Jay's longtime like meetup member here in LA. Super rad. Um, Zach. Uh, Fogout. Okay, there we go. I think I said flag out last time. Fogout. Uh, also, uh, I, th- I think he might be, I think he, he's a, one of my meetup members. Or no, no, no. I think he might be in Austin, Texas or something. But yeah, he recently became my patron. Uh, i been chatting with him um, on our Slack team. Uh, Bobby Hendricks, shout out. Thank you so much uh, for, for becoming a patron as well. Um, yeah, so over the last like month i guess i got a couple new more page a couple more patrons it's pretty cool uh so i just want to shout out to you guys and say thank you so much for uh, supporting me all right last but not least uh where can people contact you online if at all
1: um so twitter is probably the the best place Uh, my handle is at w t s n z cool yeah.
0: And one piece of advice for people uh, learning Swift. Go. Uh,
1: have have side projects and read open source Swift. Read, read, yeah. It, read code, yeah. Like yeah. open source Swift projects? Yes, yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. And you're right. That quick starter project is mm-hmm. such a good resource if you mm-hmm. want to learn some super advanced, um, like basically functional reactive MVVM. Yeah. Yeah, any other projects that you are like a go to that you like to uh, check out that you can recommend to somebody?
1: Uh, nothing comes to mind, but maybe like a really popular framework, such as Alamafire comes to mind. All right, cool. Yep. Awesome.
0: All right, Will, thank you so much for coming on the show today for sharing your story. Uh, what, I mean, you grew up in, uh, the UK and then you moved to New Zealand, went to school for 3d animation. Uh, You know thought that that was what you were gonna do and like eight months into your program you had three months left You made a really tough decision to Switch gears because you realized it wasn't really what you wanted to do and you took uh, a leap of faith, right? You took that risk Mm -hmm. um, and you set out to to find something that was more aligned with what you wanted and you were making these games and then you Tried to port them to iOS and that was kind of difficult. So you decided to Make an app, Tides uh, NZ, because it was filling a need that you had. There was an Objective C you really enjoyed it. You you know got a lot of downloads, and you realized this is something that you really wanted to do. And you mm-hmm. ended up just you know going uh, out to the country. I think you said with some friends and having some drinks, and you talk with somebody who they were hiring mm-hmm. iOS developers, and that was PaperCut, and you've been with them ever since. And yeah. now you're the iOS team lead there. And, uh, yeah, and you're now more and more sharing um, your, you know, information, and your experience online with other people, which is really important, mm-hmm. especially this particular topic. Because, again, there's not a lot of people writing Swift uh, about, you know, the coordinator pattern and like, you know, in Swift. So I think it's really awesome that you're doing that. And uh, I use your article actually um, during a talk that I gave at my meetup about coordinator pattern. Cool. Um, that, that article is really cool. You explained it well. You had some cool graphs. Um, yeah, so thank you for doing that. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon.
1: Cool. Well, thank you ever so much for having me on. Hope it's been, hope it's been cool. I've enjoyed it. So <laughs> I look forward to meeting you in, uh, in San Jose. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed
0: listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends.